The following is a presentation of Broadway Church in Vancouver, British Columbia. For additional media, visit broadwaychurch.com. I was 15 years old when the very first Star Wars films hit the theater. I can still remember the lights going down and being caught up in the adventure, the light versus darkness, good versus evil drama, as Luke Skywalker valiantly battled against Darth Vader. My younger brother got all kinds of Star Wars-themed toys that year, and every evening he could be heard playing out some epic battle that determined the fate of our universe. Well, if you've watched the movies, you remember Obi-Wan Kenobi telling Luke to use the Force. You can hear him say it, use the Force, Luke, use the Force. And then Luke would then go deep into thought. He would merge his will with this mysterious force. And suddenly, Luke would be enabled to overcome evil. I say all that for this reason. For years, my concept of the Holy Spirit came right out of Star Wars. I thought that the Holy Spirit was like the force that Luke tapped into. I thought of the Holy Spirit as an it, as God's energy that would be unleashed upon the world for good. Well, last week, we learned that this is not the case at all. Last week, in the first class of our Holy Spirit University course, we learned that the Holy Spirit is not an it, is not a force, and is not God's energy. We learned that the Holy Spirit is a person, a living being, a self-conscious mind with emotions, intellect, and a will. And we learn that the Holy Spirit is not just any person, but is the third person of the Trinity. We were reminded that God is one being, home to three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, we identify God the Father as Jehovah or Yahweh. That's his name. And we identify God the Son as Jesus of Nazareth or Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah. That's his name. But we don't know of any name for the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is a title. It's not a name. So why is it that no name is given for the Holy Spirit? Well, we don't know for certain. Perhaps the Holy Spirit withholds his own name so that the name of Jesus can be lifted higher. In Scripture, it's clear that the Holy Spirit is focused upon one thing and one thing only, to point people to Jesus. In fact, the Spirit takes what Jesus did, and the Spirit does all that he can to unleash what Jesus did upon the world. Actually, that brings us to today's big idea. You're thinking, what, did, did I fall asleep for the sermon? No, the big idea is at the beginning of the sermon this week. Normally, it's at the end, but today, our big idea, where we sum up the teaching in one phrase, we're putting at the very start. Here's today's big idea. What's the role of the Holy Spirit? The Spirit's role is to reveal what Jesus did for our lives and then apply what Jesus did to our lives. That's the role of the Spirit to reveal what Jesus did for our lives and then apply what Jesus did to our lives. He shows us what Jesus has done for us and then he applies everything that Jesus did to our lives so we can actually experience it. So how does the Holy Spirit accomplish this dual role? That's what we're gonna look at for the next 20, 25 minutes. Now, today's teaching is more than just an information dump. Realize something. 
If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, everything that I'm about to say is true about your life. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, everything that I'm about to describe applies to your life right now. Have you ever purchased a smartphone or a smart TV and you've had it for a while and then you had someone show you some feature you didn't know you had? I remember a while ago sitting watching a TV with one of my, my grandkids, my oldest grandson, and we're watching something and he said, just a minute, Papa, and he hit a button and the TV froze. We were watching a hockey game. The TV froze and he walked away for a minute, got a toy, they came back again. I said, and then he hit a button and the game went on again. I said, Kessler, what did you just do? He says, what are you talking about? I said, how did you just do that? What, I paused live TV. I said, I didn't know I had that. I felt like a, an old man at that moment. I said, really? He said, yeah, Papa, it's right here. And he showed me the button. I thought, wow, I didn't know I could do that. It was a cool feeling. And he looked at me like, are you a moron or what? It's my hope that some of us may walk away from this place today with a new insight into what the Holy Spirit can do in your life. So what's the role of the Holy Spirit? The Spirit's role is to reveal what Jesus did for your life and then apply what Jesus did to your life. So how does the Spirit accomplish this role? Well, first of all, as your outline says, he convicts us. The Spirit convicts us. Well, what does that mean? It means he brings to light the darkness in our lives. That's what he does. He brings to light the darkness in our lives, as your outline says. Now, the Bible says, when he, the Spirit, comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. You say, well, why is this a good thing? When the Holy Spirit convicts us, it isn't to shame us or humiliate us or belittle us or say, ah, rub our noses in it and say, you're wrong, I'm right. That's not why the Holy Spirit convicts us and points out the darkness in our lives. No, when the Holy Spirit convicts us, it's to enable us to face and live the truth. You see, he convicts us of our problem so he can then convince us of his solution. He convicts us of our problem so he can convince us of his solution. There's an old saying, you can't fix what you won't acknowledge. So what the Holy Spirit does is we're we're just enveloped and engrossed and caught up in our sin. And so he convicts us. He shows us the error of our ways. Like my grandson did with the TV. I didn't know that was true. The Holy Spirit shows us the the nature of our sin, but he doesn't just leave us there. He, He convicts us of our problem so he can convince us of his solution. He says, here's your problem, and here's the solution that I, God, am offering to you. I have sent my son Jesus to pay your moral debt to take upon himself all the, 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 the judgment and all of the guilt and all of the, 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 the repercussions that your sin deserves. He got what we deserve. The Bible puts it this way. The wages that sin pays is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the Holy Spirit reveals our sin and then he shows us the, the, the gift that God offers us to pay for our sin and to cleanse us of our sin. Have you received this gift yet? If you haven't, we're gonna give you an opportunity to do that before you leave this auditorium today. 
So the Spirit's role is to reveal what Jesus did for our lives and then apply what Jesus did to our lives. And first of all, he does this by convicting us of our sin. He brings to light the darkness in our lives so that we can experience forgiveness and cleansing in our lives. But that's just the beginning. When I was a little kid, my dream car was a Datsun 240Z. Here's an ad from the 70s when I was a kid. This car was my dream car as a kid. Whenever I saw one on the street, or even particularly parked in a parking lot, I would stop, I would run up to it, I'd walk all around it, I'd look inside of it, and I would think, oh, I would love to have this car. I would still love to have this car, actually. You don't see many of them anymore. Apparently, they had a bit of a rust problem. Finding one nowadays is rare. Most of them have decayed. Like this one that was recently found in a barn, had been tucked away for years, and as you can see, it was dilapidated, beaten up, rusted, corroded. This thing was ready to be junked. Except this beaten up, run down, dented in, rusted out car was placed in the hands of a restoration expert. Someone skilled in taking things that have been uh, damaged and returning them to their intended glory. And after months, if not years, of sweat and toil, this is what that Datsun now looks like today. They completely restored it to its intended glory. Amazing. Did you know that God is in the restoration business? He is. And the ones who do the work are the Son and the Holy Spirit. The two of them work closely together to see lives radically changed. The Apostle Paul put it this way in a letter to a young man named Titus. Paul said, God saved us not because of righteous things we have done. So in other words, it's not our own good deeds that are at the root of our salvation. No, not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. Here's how he did it. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So Jesus did the work of obtaining our salvation, and then he poured out the Holy Spirit upon us. And the Holy Spirit does the work of washing of rebirth and renewal based upon what Christ has done for us. The Son and the Spirit working together to renovate us. So what's the role of the Spirit? Well, he convicts us, but as your outline says, he also renews us. He renews us. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. You see that word rebirth? Underline it on your outline or if you're following along in your Bible. It's the word in the original Greek language in which this letter was written. It's the word for spiritual renovation. It's the word for a complete makeover. It's where we get the term born again. And that is exactly what the Holy Spirit does. He renovates us at our core, giving life to what was dead. He renovates us, like that Datsun was renovated. He renovates our lives at our very core. Now, as Christ followers, we need to understand this. Jesus is the one who made it possible for you to experience a new life, but it is the Holy Spirit who actually does the renovating work in your life. I'll say that again. Jesus is the one who made it possible for you to experience new life, but it's the Holy Spirit who actually does the renovating work in your life. Jesus made the way, but the Spirit is the one who walks with you along the way. 
The Spirit reveals what Jesus did for our lives, and then the Spirit applies what Jesus did to our lives. And how does the Spirit do this renewing and renovating work? Well, he does it by taking up residence within us. As your outline says, he indwells us. He indwells us. He permanently makes his home within us. The Holy Spirit moves in and makes himself at home at the center of your life. Now, we learned last week that Jesus promised his followers that this would take place. Remember, Jesus said this. He told his disciples while he still walked the earth, he says, I'm gonna leave you. No, don't be upset, he said. I'm not gonna leave you as orphans. I'll come to you. He says, here's how it'll work. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, or some versions say counselor, to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you, my followers, you know him, for he lives with you. And then Jesus prophesied and said, and he will be in you. He'll indwell you soon. The apostle Paul reminded the church in Corinth about this powerful reality. Paul put it this way. He said, don't you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you receive from God? Paul's saying, listen, It's not about the temple in Jerusalem anymore. He says, no, don't you realize that now as a follower of Jesus, you're the temple? No, the Holy Spirit no longer dwells in the holy of holies at the center of the temple in the center of Jerusalem. No, that's the past. That's the old covenant. You now live in the new covenant. Now you as an individual are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now your heart, your life, your soul is the holy of holies. He now dwells within you. You've received the Spirit from God. Now, this dynamic is what sets you apart as a Christ follower from every person who ever lived in the Old Testament. Think about this. Jesus made a statement that very few people talk about it. It's one of the most incredible statements in the whole Bible. Jesus said this in Matthew eleven eleven, speaking to the, his followers. He says, truly I tell you, among those born of women meaning among any human who's ever walked the earth up until that moment, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. He's saying, John the Baptist was an incredible prophet, incredible man. And Jesus is saying, I want you to know, people, that up until this moment in time, up until that moment in time, there has not been a greater woman or man than John the Baptist. Moses, Elijah, Elisha, Samson, David, Solomon, Jeremiah, Isaiah, you name it, major prophet, minor prophet, no one born of a woman is a greater person than John the Baptist. Wow, that's quite a statement, but keep reading. Yet, whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven, meaning in the New Testament, in the new covenant, in the new world after the resurrection, whoever is the weakest in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist. That is an incredible declaration. Why? Why is the least, the weakest in the kingdom of God greater than the greatest person in the Old Testament? Because the benefits of being indwelt by the Spirit of God are incredible. First of all, the indwelling Spirit makes us feel secure. 
The Bible puts it this way in Romans 8. The Apostle Paul said, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Remember, being indwelt by the Spirit means your spirit and God's spirit live in relationship. And as they're living in intimate relationship, Paul reminds us and says, and while they're living in relationship, you need to know that the Holy Spirit and your spirit are communicating. And the Holy Spirit is telling your spirit and reminding your spirit that you are God's child. When Jan and I were first dating, I went off to college in another city three hours away. I could only visit her once a month, maybe twice a month at the most. So every time I left to go back to school, Jan had a certain individual, a well-meaning individual in her life, who would say to her every time, they'd say, now Jan, don't get too comfortable in this relationship with Darren because he is going to find someone else at that college and he's going to break up with you. You can imagine, she just felt wonderful every time I left. The enemy of our souls says the same thing to us. He whispers in our ears and tries to convince us that God will abandon us. We're particularly vulnerable to this tactic early in our walks with God. I know early in my journey with Christ, I experienced waves of doubt Every time I felt that I had failed him or every time the busyness of my life led me to ignore his presence in my life. And it was in those moments that I wondered if God was angry at me or indeed if God had abandoned me. The indwelling spirit actively works to address those doubts and fears in your life. The spirit himself testifies, speaks to, encourages our spirit, that we are God's children. When the enemy or even your own mind says, God's angry at you, God's tired of you, God's disappointed in you, God doesn't want to have anything to do with you, no, the indwelling spirit says, that's a lie. I love you, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, I'll never turn my back on you. You might turn your back on me, but I'll never turn my back on you. He testifies with our spirits that we are God's children. Another benefit of being indwelt by the Spirit of God is he transforms us from the inside out, from the core to the outermost parts of our lives. The Apostle Paul put it this way. He said, and we all, again, speaking of Christ followers, who with unveiled faces, meaning an open relationship with God, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory. We're going to learn what that word contemplate means in a moment. When we contemplate the Lord's glory, the Lord's perfection, the Lord's character, we are being transformed into his image, into the Lord's image with ever-increasing glory, meaning more and more day by day, which all this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. See, how does this inner transformation happen? According to this verse, it's a partnership between us and the indwelling spirit. By the way, next Sunday, I'm going to be speaking on the whole topic of living in the spirit or walking in the spirit. What does that mean? When the Bible says live in the spirit and you won't fulfill, walk in the spirit and you won't fulfill the the lust of the flesh, what does that mean? Practically speaking, what does it mean to walk in the spirit or live in the spirit? What can I practically do moment by moment to access and to live out the, the indwelling spirit's presence? We're going to learn about that next Sunday. But in the meantime, let's focus here. Do you see that word contemplate? 
It means to gaze into a mirror. Probably when you woke up this morning, you walked into your, your washroom and you leaned on the counter and you looked at yourself in the mirror and you gazed into the mirror and you thought, do I have time to get ready? I mean, look at all the work that I've got to do here. You contemplated, literally that's what this original word meant, to gaze into a mirror. And according to the Apostle Paul, when we contemplate the Lord's glory, the Lord's character, Jesus' life, a spirit source transformation takes place. As Paul describes it, we intensely gaze at the life of Jesus. And the more we study, the more we gaze, the more we contemplate the life of Jesus, the more the indwelling spirit transforms us into the image of Jesus. That's why studying the Bible, using your steps journal is so important. In other words, where we look becomes how we look. The more we focus upon Jesus, the more we become like Jesus. Paul described this process another way in a letter he wrote to the church in ancient Rome. He said this in Romans 8, 5. Those who live according to this flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. We're going to unpack this next week. Those who have their, 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 their minds uh, set on, on your natural inclinations, your natural desires, your own personal willpower. The more of us, the more who live out of their own willpower and thoughts and desires, the more you do that, the more you're going to focus on what your own willpower and thoughts and desires and natural inclinations, what they want. The more you focus upon yourself, the more you're going to act like yourself. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit, those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. If you want to live in accordance with the Spirit, then you need to focus upon, gaze into, contemplate on what the Spirit desires. Where we look becomes how we look. We become to be transformed into the image of the one that we focus upon. What's the role of the Holy Spirit? The Spirit's role is to reveal what Jesus did for our lives and then apply what Jesus did to our lives. He does this by convicting us, renewing us, indwelling us. And the indwelling Spirit makes us feel secure. The indwelling Spirit transforms us. But according to Jesus, there's still more. In the 14th chapter of John's Gospel, Jesus said this. The advocate, the counselor, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, in Jesus' name, he will teach you all things and he'll remind you of everything that I've said to you. So according to Jesus, the indwelling spirit also teaches us. He teaches us. When we read the scriptures, he enables us to understand and apply the scriptures. Now, you've heard me tell you in the past, if you attend Broadway, I became a follower of Jesus at the age of 19. I had been in and out of church for years up until that point in my life, prior to that decision that I made that day. I had sat through, for my, sat through my share of sermons, and I had read more than a few passages of Scripture up to that point in my life. The preachers I listened to were always speaking in English, and the versions I was reading were always written in English. But for the first 19 years of my life, I got absolutely nothing out of either of them. None of the preachers and none of the passages that I read. Didn't, nothing mattered to me. Nothing touched my heart for those first 19 years. Then something supernatural happened. I sensed a conviction within me. My darkness was brought to light. 
A renewing took place within me. Spiritual death was overtaken by eternal life through Jesus Christ. And from that day forward, a gradual transformation took place. I had a new interest in and a new hunger for the Bible. Now understand, I didn't understand everything I read. I still don't understand everything that I read. But I certainly got excited when I did understand something. And that excitement has not passed away to this day. And I can tell you that I understand more today than I did back then. Because the indwelling spirit has been doing what Jesus promised he would do. He's been teaching me for nearly 40 years now. Have you ever found yourself at a crossroads? You need to make a decision. You need direction. So how does having the Spirit of God living within help us in such moments? Well, according to the Bible, again, the indwelling Spirit guides us. This is a fascinating passage in a letter Paul wrote to the church in ancient Philippi. Paul said this, Therefore, my dear friends, because everything I just taught you is true, he says, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, he says, you've always obeyed what I've taught you, not just when I'm there, but even now when I'm gone. Since that's true, continue to work out your salvation, not work up, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, meaning take it seriously. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Now, we've already seen how the indwelling spirit teaches us through scripture. That's certainly the clearest source of direction in a Christ follower's life. However, according to the Apostle Paul here, there's another way the Spirit leads and guides us. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. The indwelling Spirit puts his thoughts and his desires in your heart and in your mind. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. God puts his thoughts and his desires in your heart and in your mind. Now, here's the thing. We are not robots. We're not puppets. You are free to resist or reject these thoughts and desires, but scripture is clear. The indwelling spirit does put them there. Now, admittedly, this is a highly subjective and intuitive area, but we can be confident that the indwelling spirit is actively guiding us. I like what author Philip Yancey wrote in a little booklet he wrote entitled Guidance. Very transparent about this process in his life. Here's what he wrote. He says, I have a confession to make. For me, at least, guidance only becomes evident when I look backward months and years later. Then the winding process falls into place and the hand of God becomes clear. But at the moment of decision, I feel mainly confusion and uncertainty. Indeed, almost all the guidance in my life has been subtle and indirect. Well, whether or not you feel God's guidance at the moment, you can be assured that the Spirit of God is actively working within you to steer your heart and to direct your life. It's amazing to ponder. The very Spirit of God lives within you. He indwells you as a follower of Jesus Christ. 
And so far we've learned that the benefits of this indwelling include his working within you to make you feel secure in his love, his working within you to transform your life into the image of Jesus, and his working within you to teach and to guide you, but there's still more. Listen to yet another thing that the Holy Spirit is doing right now within you. Paul said, I pray that out of his glorious riches, in other words, out of the abundance that is God, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Peter put it this way. His divine power, God's divine power, has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him. And that word knowledge in the original Greek language, it's the word epinosis, which is the word for knowledge gained by experience, knowledge gained by interaction. It's not knowledge gained by studying, it's knowledge gained by personal experience. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our interaction with him. On top of what we've already learned, another role of the Spirit fulfills is he empowers us. He empowers us. Again, we're going to learn more about this next Sunday, practically how to live this out. But let me say this today. When we call upon him, he equips us at a supernatural level. Can I share a truth with you that I learned many years ago? It's a truth that I have to continually revisit You're going to want to write this truth down somewhere on the margin of your outline or the back of your Bible. I haven't put it on the screens or anywhere on your outline. But this truth, I I bring this truth back to my mind many times in life. It brings perspective and healing to my heart at times. Here's the truth. Sin is not a weakness that needs to be strengthened. Sin is a power that needs to be defeated. Sin is not a weakness that needs to be strengthened Sin is a power that needs to be defeated. When you fall into temptation and when you fall to temptation and sin, don't think, oh, if I just worked harder, if I was just smarter, if I was just more disciplined, I need to work harder and I need to be better and stronger. I need to pull up my socks and and, and tighten things up in my life. No, sin is not a weakness in your life that you need to strengthen. Sin is a power that needs to be defeated. And you cannot defeat it on your own. God's not looking at you and saying, try harder, work harder, be smarter. No. God has sent his son into the world to deliver you from the power of sin. And part of how he does this is he applies the Holy Spirit to your life. And through your interaction with the indwelling spirit of God, you are empowered to overcome the power of sin within you and around you. Sin isn't a weakness that needs to be strengthened. Sin is a power that needs to be defeated. You can't defeat that power on your own. It's only through an interaction with the indwelling spirit of God. I am thankful that the indwelling spirit empowers us to live. Well, there's one more task that the indwelling Spirit of God fulfills in our lives that I'd like to focus on. He helps us pray. He helps us pray. The Apostle Paul put it this way. It's a passage that's often confusing for people, understandably, when we read it here. It says in Romans 8, 26, 27, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for 
But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. There have been moments in my life when I was so confused and so overwhelmed by the pain of my circumstances that I simply was at a loss. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know where to turn. I certainly didn't know what to pray. Have you ever had times like that? I am thankful that at such moments, the indwelling spirit helps me in my weakness. How does he help us? He intercedes for us with wordless groans. What does that mean, wordless groans? Some people think that it means referring to speaking in tongues and supernatural language that we'll learn about later in this series. I don't think that's what this is referring to because those aren't wordless groans. Those are words spoken. So what's he talking about here? Well, the clue is actually in the context. Just a few verses immediately before this verse, Paul depicts all of creation as intensely groaning. He uses the word groaning there again under the weight of sin. And then in the verse after that, Paul says that every Christ follower is intensely groaning, he used that word for a second time, as we wait for our immortal bodies to be revealed. And then, continuing in the intensity theme of groaning in the face of sin and weakness and pain, Paul says the Holy Spirit experiences intensity and groaning of his own. The Spirit helps us in our weakness that we've been groaning about. We don't know how we ought to pray or what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with wordless groans. Again, the intensity theme. Are you in pain? Are you feeling overwhelmed by the intensity of your circumstances? The Apostle Paul is saying the Holy Spirit understands. He knows your weakness. He knows your heart. He knows what you need. He knows how you're feeling. You may not know what to pray, but he knows what to pray, and he is doing that very thing on your behalf. He is interceding for you. The indwelling spirit helps us to pray. When we wrestle in prayer, he comes to our rescue. Folks, Christianity at its core is not merely another religion. It's not just a set of golden rules or life principles to guide us, though those are contained in Scripture. Christianity, though, at its core, is a vibrant relationship with God made possible by the Son and directly experienced through the Holy Spirit. Christianity is certainly grounded in objective truths, yes, but it is lived out through subjective experiences, experiences with the Holy Spirit. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you carry around within you the presence of God. Your spirit and God's spirit live in constant contact. And because that's true, Jesus said the weakest Christ follower in this room is greater than the strongest figure in the Old Testament. So let me ask you, When was the last time you interacted with God's presence within you? When was the last time you spoke to the indwelling Spirit of God within you? He's here. He's there. 
He knows where you're at. He knows what you need.